Um, you know, anytime I get ready to preach, the message that's on my heart kind of just works through the fabric of my soul. But there are certain times when I know when I walk up on the platform that I'm sitting on dynamite because the message that I have is so powerful, it truly has the power to transform everybody's life. Usually when I have one of these messages, though, it involves us being able to learn to think in a totally different way than we were inclined to think. And that's certainly the case this morning. So uh, I want to just ask you, I know it's, uh, it's an icy morning and it's kind of cold outside and, and we're kind of in a calm spirit, but I'd like to ask you to just to really open your hearts to think, uh, to let the Word of God settle into your spirit because I promise you, I promise you, it is going to be next to impossible for you to entertain the thoughts that I'm going to share with you today because our culture just takes us so far in the opposite direction. Well, let me start by asking you a question and maybe this will pique, pique your interest a little bit. The question I have for you is, and this is a very personal question, are you happy? I've never encountered so many unhappy people as I encounter today. And people that, and I'm talking about even Christian people, just genuinely unhappy. What about you? Are you a happy person? It, it extends beyond individuals to relationships because unhappy people make for unhappy marriages. Unhappy marriages make for unhappy families. Unhappy families make for unhappy uh, environment, work environments and, and culture. So my question for you this morning for you to think about is, are you happy? Would you consider yourself a positive, energetic, enthusiastic person? Are you the kind of person that people are drawn to and want to be around? Because quite frankly, everybody is looking for a happy person. You know, we talk about evangelism here, and, and certainly it's a big part of everything we do. We measure everything that happens in this church by whether or not it brings people to Christ. i got to tell you something. If you're a happy person, you're going to bring a lot of people to Christ. There are going to be a lot of people just interested in whatever it is that motivates you. So i got to ask you, are you a happy person? If you're not today, or if you're not as happy as you would like to be, I think we all agree on one thing. It's going to take a makeover. You know, we, we often think, well, if I get this, I'm going to be happy. But most of us have lived long enough. I mean, by the time you're 12 years old, you learn that getting some piece of stuff that you think you want is not going to make you happy. So for us to become happy people, we're going to have to go through an extreme makeover. And if you're unhappy with any part of your life, the makeover has to start with your thinking. We talked about that last week. We sort of nudged up to this series, this sermon in the series today. But if you're unhappy with anything, you got to have a makeover. The makeover starts with your thinking. And that's true. Many of us, you know, at the beginning of the new year, one of our goals is to lose weight. Listen to me. You do not start a diet with your refrigerator. You start a diet with your mind, with your thinking. Until you get control of your thinking, you're not going to be able to lose weight. You know, there are these commercials where you can pop these pills, and these pills will make you lose weight. Trust me, if they had found a pill that would make you lose weight, there's no telling what they could charge for that pill. Amen? And because it, it doesn't start with taking a pill. It starts with getting it in your head, what you're going to do, getting a plan, and disciplining yourself. It's the same thing. Like some of us, you know, you know, there are some people who couldn't be on time if everybody else set their watch. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things where they can't be on time. And some of you, that's your goal for this year. You want to be on time. But get being on time and changing your life begins with your way of thinking. The mind is your control center. It's the control center for everything you do. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart. And the Bible talks about the mind here when it says the heart. 
Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. You have to watch to make sure you control your thinking. Because your thinking, in effect, is going to impact everything that happens in your life. And I think probably everybody agrees on that. I mean, if you went out to Wichita State University, I'd disagree with a lot of stuff I'm going to say today. If you went out to some uh, psychologist or some psychiatrist who's a completely secular person, even they would agree with what I've said up to this point. And that is, if you're going to have a makeover in your life, it starts with your thinking. But here's where the roads diverge. Because, see, most people, when they go about changing their thinking, they go about it exactly the wrong way. Suppose I told you that what most people do when they try to change their thinking to make over their lives is like pouring gasoline on fire. It's exactly the wrong thing. Suppose I told you this morning I could show you the way to a mind makeover that could guarantee you happiness. I can. I absolutely can. That's why I know I'm sitting on dynamite in this message. This message today has the power to totally revolutionize your thinking. It's going to be a challenge for most of us. You're going to sit there and listen to this message, and it's going to just go right through you, and you're not going to be impacted because it's so far away from the way that we're thinking on the whole. But for those of you who might be open, you could live into it. You could walk, you could walk in this morning into a totally transforming experience. The title of this message, and I've been waiting for this for weeks, ever since I thought of these four letters, W-W-W. J-T. Many of you wore bracelets and had shirts that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? There was a fad for a while, and there was some, some expensive jewelry and shirts. I, I was in a store one time, and I looked at somebody and picked up, a, I think it was either a shirt or a bracelet. It was like $15, and, and she picked it up and said WWJD. She said, I don't think Jesus would pay $15 for the shirt. But that's not my topic today. Not, it's not what would Jesus do. My topic is, what would Jesus think? What would Jesus think? Now, take your Bibles this morning and look at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at the fifth and sixth verses, which are some of the most important verses in your Bible. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Some of you may have other translations, but you will get there. Trust me, this is a powerful message. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. What an incredible statement. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus had. If you want to be happy in life, it comes down to that. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus had. Your thinking should be the same as Jesus had. Some of you have a translation that says, let this mind be in you as Christ Jesus had. Or let this thinking be in you as Christ had. That's the secret of happiness. And we're going to jump right in this morning, and we're going to talk about the kind of mind that Jesus had, and we're going to walk through Philippians chapter 2 today to learn the kind of mind that he had. Here's the first thing I notice about Jesus. Jesus didn't evaluate everything that happened to him based on a sense of entitlement. You say, Mark, where do you get that? Look at verse 6. The Bible says, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. The Greek language there means He did not see the trappings of deity as something to be grasped after. You know, when people grasp for something, they're trying to reach something they don't have. In fact, we have a saying, grasping for the brass brass ring. And that's what the Bible is saying here, is that when Jesus came to this earth, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Now, 
He was God. Jesus was not a man who became God. He was God who became man. When Jesus came to earth, and we just talked about this during the Christmas season, when God came to earth, he could have expected certain things. Let me, let me ratchet that down a little bit and give you an example. Suppose President Bush flew into Wichita this morning. That's not going to happen. Because at this point, President Bush and Republicans see Wichita, see Kansas as a pretty much safe state. They're not going to visit here very much, I don't think. But suppose Air Force One flew in to McConnell Air Force Base or to Mid-Continent, wherever he would fly in if he came in here. President Bush could expect certain things. He could expect a welcoming committee. He could expect to stay in one of the finest hotel rooms in our city, if not the finest. He could expect his big black multi-million dollar limousine to be there on the tarmac, having flown in on a transport plane before he got to town. He could expect the Secret Service to be watching him and protecting him. He, he could expect things even down to the very podium that he spoke on would have the presidential seal on the front of that. He could expect all those things. Why? He's president. He's entitled. He's run the race. He's won the election. He's entitled. If President Bush came to Wichita, he could expect certain things. What if God came to earth? What could he expect? Imagine that. President Bush is president for four more years. God is God forever. Forever past, forever will be. He is the creator of the universe. He is the one who sustains the universe. If President Bush could expect all that stuff because he is the occupier of an office for four years, what, what could God expect? But something strange happened when God came to earth. He did not come demanding what he was entitled to. We could say it this way, the one who was entitled to the most demanded the least. You know, I've got the word extreme in our series, and I think for good reason, especially because of what we're going to talk about right now. A makeover is within your grasp this morning. Right now, at this point, a, a, an extreme makeover is within your grasp right now, but many of us will not take that opportunity because the measure you have to take is so extreme. Many of us are unhappy today for one reason. We're not getting what we're entitled to, and we're having to grasp for it. Now remember this, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come looking for what he was entitled to. He didn't come grasping for the trappings of being God. He didn't say, where's my limousine? He didn't say, where's my secret service detail? He came here and you know what? A manger was good enough for him. A stable was good enough for him. He was born in Bethlehem, which is the poorest of towns. Jesus could have chosen, demanded to be born in any of the great cities of the world, Rome, Jerusalem, or the greatest of all, he could have demanded to have been born in Dallas. But he didn't. Anything was good enough for him. Now, many of us are unhappy because we think to ourselves, I'm entitled to certain things. I'm entitled to this, and I'm not getting it. I I'm entitled to get more help around the house, and I'm not getting it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grasp for it. What happens? You're unhappy. Everybody else in the house is unhappy. I'm entitled to credit that I'm not getting. I've done these things and nobody has given me the credit that I deserve because I deserve this stuff and I'm not getting it, so I guess I'm going to have to reach for this credit. And now you're unhappy because you're not getting the credit that people around you are unhappy because you're grasping. I'm entitled to attention. 
and I'm not getting this attention, so I'm going to grasp for it. I'm entitled to respect, and I'm not getting the respect that I think I'm entitled to, so I'm going to reach for it. Here's what we need to understand this morning. And, and, and again, you know, we, we live in a culture of very angry people. And we, we talk about road rage. We talk about office rage. Man, the thing about it is we got rage every place. And when we talk about certain kinds of rage, we're just talking about the geographic location for that rage. Here's why people are so angry today. Dwelling on unmet entitlements makes us angry people. When I dwell on what I'm not getting that I think I'm entitled to, it makes me an angry person. And Jesus told this story very clearly. And I don't have time to articulate it this morning, but you know it's the story of the steward, the guy who owed his master $5 billion. And the king forgave him the $5 billion debt, and he walked out a free man. And he found some guy who owed him $40, and when the guy couldn't pay, he had him thrown into prison. That story that Jesus is teaching us there tells us about the anger of dwelling on unmet expectations. Because many of us, we have people in our lives who owe us something, and they don't give it to us. So what do we want? We want them in prison, not in a real prison with bars. We want them in an emotional prison. We want them in a prison in which they feel the iciness of our feeling toward them. Jesus came to earth knowing he wasn't going to get the attention he deserved. He wasn't going to get the glory he deserved. He wasn't going to get the credit he deserved. But he was okay with that. He had, listen to me, this is what's so big. Oh, I wish I could get this across. I wish I could get it across to me. He had a job to do. He, he had something to accomplish on this earth. He knew this earth is not heaven. He, he had a job to get done. And so what he understood was that if he was focused on the unmet expectations, if he was focused on the entitlements that he was not getting, that he would be an angry person. On the other hand, if he stayed focused on the job that God had called him to do, he was going to get where he wanted to go. And it's the same for you and me. You and I can choose. We either choose to focus on the job that God has left us here to do, or we choose to focus on ourselves and how people are not meeting our expectations. So important for us to stay focused on what God has called us to do. I read this story this week, and I had to tell it to you. It, it might not mean anything to you, but I've almost done this several times, and so I, when I read it, I thought, yeah, well, that could be me if I'm not careful. I don't know how many of you perhaps have never been to very many funerals, but I've been to hundreds of funerals in my lifetime, preached probably hundreds of funerals. Whenever a pastor preaches a funeral, they put his car up at the front because obviously the pastor is involved in the cemetery service, and uh, so I'm usually placed either in front of the coach or right behind the coach, the, the hearse, and my car's there at the very front. I heard about a pastor this week who got into his car to lead a long funeral procession. And you know, when you get into your car and you turn your lights on, a pastor's like everybody else. You got a million things going through your mind. I, I'll be honest with you, I've talked on a cell phone before while I'm in a funeral procession, working out details, working on things with my staff. And so here this pastor got into his car and he started driving and he got preoccupied. He was listening to music. And all of a sudden he passed Kmart, or he got to Kmart. And he started thinking about something that he needed. And before he realized what he was doing, he pulled into Kmart and was driving down the lane. And just as he was about to pull into a parking place, he looked in his rearview mirror, and there was this long line of cars pulling into the Kmart parking place with their lights on. And I thought to myself, that could happen to me. I hope it doesn't. 
But that's the way we are in life. See, we've got we to gotta realize how important it is to stay focused on the job that we have to do because people are following us. If Jesus had come to the earth and seen the stable and the manger, and if he'd said, where's my, where, where's my Hyatt? Where's my limousine? Where's my Learjet? He would have lost sight of what he was here to do, and so many of us depended on him. See, I want you to understand this morning that dwelling on unmet expectations unmet entitlements will make you angry. But now the book of Philippians is going to tell us something else here that's really important, and that's this. Choosing to focus on our entitlements turns us into complainers. Have you noticed how many complaining people there are today? I mean, there are people who complain about everything. In fact, there are some genuine nutcases out there who complain about all kinds of stuff. Look at your Bible this time in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says, in everything you do, Stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Isn't it interesting that in verse 5 the Bible says, Let this attitude be in you as Christ had, and now in verse 14 we're told to stay away from complaining. Now that's, the complaining comes about when we feel like we're entitled to something and we're not getting it. Friend, was uh, leaving his office one day. He saw a couple of elderly people, very raggedly dressed street people. And they were clearly hungry and they were asking for, for food, so he took them to 7-Eleven, bought them sub sandwiches, chips, you know, the, those super big gulps with 1,200 ounces in them that 7-Eleven has. And they sat on the curb and began to hungrily devour the sandwiches when when the man picked up his big gulp and, and, and drew, a, a, drew a drink out of the straw, and then all of a sudden he made this horrible face, and he looked angrily at the guy who had just bought him the food, and he said, what's this, diet? Now, what would cause a street person to react that way? The sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to this. I, I'm poor. I'm entitled to this. I'm not getting what I deserve. And beyond that, why did you buy me diet drink? Journalist James Glassman declares that a culture of complaint has infected the American society. He talked about Americans who file complaints against fast food companies seeking to hold corporations responsible for making them fat for food that they bought. There are actually people in America who seek litigation against banks for lending them money even though they were a credit risk. Can you imagine that? People suing a bank for lending them money because why would you lend me money? You know I'm a bad credit risk. There are complaints about overcrowding in schools, low-paying jobs, cheap foreign labor. The truth is that some of these complaints are unfounded, and they ignore blessings, the journalist writes. He goes on to say, in 1955, the ratio of students to teachers was 30 to 1. Today, it's 19 to 1. Adjusted for inflation, compensation has tripled since 1947, and the cost of necessities has plummeted. Food in 1950 represented about one-third of a family's total expenditures. Today, it's one-seventh. The United States gross domestic product is more than a total of the next more than the total of the next five countries. Americans work fewer hours, have more cars, cultural institutions, and more children in college than ever before. And yet we have more complaints today. Because see, as our blessings have arisen, so has our sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to this. Why am I not getting what I'm entitled to? If you focus on your sense of entitlement, number one, it will turn you into an angry person. Number two, it will turn you into a complaining person. I'm entitled. You owe me. I'm a good wife. You owe me. I'm a good husband. You owe me. We're good parents. 
You owe me. We're good kids. You owe me. I'm a good employee. You owe me. I'm a member of this church. You owe me. That's what will make you unhappy. That's the way most of us think today, but it will make us unhappy because dwelling on our entitlements will take our focus off what God has put us here to do, and we'll walk around being unhappy and complaining people. It's going to take a makeover, isn't it? Fortunately, we're not in it by ourselves. Take your Bibles one more time. Look at Philippians 2, this time verse 13. The Bible says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, a few moments ago at the beginning of the sermon, I shared with you that a lot of people know that it has to be a change in our thinking, but they're going about exactly their own way. And this is what we're talking about this morning. Because, see, most people feel like if they're going to have a mind makeover that's going to make them happy, they've got to demand their rights even more. They have to demand their entitlements even more. And they go about it exactly the wrong way. Now, this morning, I've challenged you to begin to think like Jesus thinks. The first way that he thought was he did not demand what he was entitled to. Here's the second way that he thinks. We're going to make a turn here, and uh, we'll be finished with the sermon in just a few moments. But I want you to focus on this. Uh, you know, when most people get a makeover, they want to look like somebody more important. They want, to look, they want to be somebody better. It's interesting that when Jesus came for a makeover, it was just the opposite. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he was God… He did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. This is the best way I can think of to say this. Jesus, in his thinking, chose to serve. Now, I just read you Philippians 2, 6 through 8. But if you want to look at the mentality of the servant that Jesus had, you can find it back in verse 3. And because there's a list of things the Bible tells us not to have in our lives. Verse 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. So when you see in verses 6 through 8 that Jesus became a servant, you have spelled out for you in verses 3 and 4 what it is like to live as a servant. And the first thing is, don't be selfish. Wow, the word extreme comes into play again too. Because for many of us, it would be an extreme makeover if we weren't selfish anymore. Now, I want you to do something for a few moments, please. I know it's early, but I want you to unscrew the halos that we all come into church with, okay? Could we do that for just a moment? We just reach up and unscrew that halo, and let's be real blunt and honest about who we are today. We don't admit it, but most of us have the idea that happiness is getting what we want. We don't say that. We don't ever articulate that. We don't put it in print because we wouldn't want to read it if we did. But in our gear work, there is this feeling that happiness is getting what we want. Therefore, we have to turn everybody in our lives into servants because if we don't turn them into servants, we won't get what we want. And if we don't get what we want, we won't be happy. And we are good at employing all kinds of texts. Oh, Mark, I would never do anything like that. I'm the nicest person in the world, and I'm the most giving person in the world. Okay, wait a minute. Let's think a moment about the tactics that we employ. Because it's true that some people bully other people to get what they want. But you know what? There are a lot of people who charm people into being their servants. They're so charming. 
They're so, they have such a beautiful demeanor about it. They have a skill at charming people into becoming their servants. Some of you would never bully anybody into it, but you sure charm people into it. You got that smile, you got that gift. Or some of us, you know, you say, Mark, I, I'm not, I, hey, listen, Pastor, I, I don't try to turn people into my servants. It's quid pro, quo, quid pro quo. I give them something, they give me something. It still supports that idea that the only way I'm going to be happy is to get what I want, and the only way I'm going to get what I want is to turn people into my servants. Some people bully, some people charm, some people negotiate, some people it's quid pro quo. There are some people that, that scheme other people into giving them what they want. They put guilt trips on them. And there are a lot of people with mothers at this point who said, Amen. Amen. I'm just telling you that's the human spirit. The human spirit says, I'm not going to be happy if I don't get what I want. The only way I'm going to get what I want is to turn people into being my servants. The problem is, it's just so wrong. It's just so dead wrong. Let me give you four reasons why it's dead wrong. Number one, getting what you think you want will not make you happy. I mean, if, you, if everybody treated you like you think you want to be treated today, I promise you, if you're not happy right now, you wouldn't be happy then. Getting what you want would not make you happy. Number two, people can't make you happy. Even the people who love you and want you to be happy cannot make you happy. That's why some of you, you're in a marriage today, you're married to a good person. And you're so unhappy because you want that man to make you happy. He can't make you happy. If he wanted to with everything in his spirit, it's not possible for one person to bring happiness to another person. Oh, man, some of us just got a clue right now. If she wanted to make you happy, she couldn't make you happy. See, that's what's wrong with so many marriages today. There are people that go out into the, they go out into the arena to find a mate, and they're unhappy, and they're thinking, boy, if I just find the right person, this person's going to make me happy. It's impossible. Nobody can make you happy. Number three, even people who love you the most will not be your servants. That's just a fact of life. You, you can, you know, we, we don't have slavery in America. And even the people who love you the most, you say, Pastor, I, I want my parents to do X, Y, and Z. No matter how much your parents love you, they're not going to be your slaves. They shouldn't be. God didn't call them to be your slaves. And number four, trying to get the people in your life to become your servants will ruin all your relationships. That's the definition of selfishness. See, selfishness is this. I don't know if you knew what selfishness was when you came in, but we all know right now. Selfishness says the only way I'm going to be happy is to get what I want. The only way I'm going to get what I want is to turn people into being my servants. That's selfishness. And it won't work. Jesus came thinking the other way. He came to be a servant. He was God, but he walked into this world not demanding what he was entitled to, but he came in being a servant. Number one, what, what, what's being a servant? Number one is don't be selfish. Number two, look at this. The Bible says don't live to make a good impression on others. Americans are the only people who buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. The Bible says don't live to make a good impression on others. Now, listen to me. Why do we want to make a good impression on others? Start with this. It's not for them. <laughs> it's not for others. We're not trying to make a good impression on others to help other people. We try to make a good impression on others to advantage ourselves. 
And obviously, we ought to be at our best. I'm not talking about being foolish about this, but I'm just saying this. If you live to make a good impression on other people, it's going to make you so unhappy because life has such a way of humbling us. Amen? I mean, you know, you got to be really old to watch this TV unless you watch some of these old channels and stuff. But, you know, one of the things we love about Barney Fife is there's so much of us in Barney Fife. Barney's always wanting to make a good impression on others, and he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, right? And we look at him and we laugh at him, but it's so much easier than laughing ourselves because in all of us, there's some Barney Five. We want to make a good impression on other people, we fall right on our face. One of my favorite people in sports is Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey is the head coach at Georgia Tech. And the reason why I know a lot about him is for a while he was head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And we really liked him. He's a great guy, good Christian man. When, when Chan Gailey was head coach at Troy State, a little tiny college in Alabama, they were playing for a championship, some kind of little championship that smaller division colleges play for. And he was on his way to a critical practice, and his secretary buzzed him on his cell phone, and she said, you need to come back to the office. There's a call for you right now. And Chan said, I don't have time for that. I'm going to a very important practice. She said, it's Sports Illustrated. Chan said immediately he made a U-turn to head back to his office. And he got to thinking to himself, you know what? If Sports Illustrated is calling me, we must be getting awfully important over here at Troy State. And he began to think about the normal three-page spread that Sports Illustrated did on colleges. And he thought to himself, you know what? Three pages is not going to be enough to tell the story of Troy State. They're going to need more pages than that. And then he said, as he got close to his office, he began to say to himself, you know what? They're probably going to want me on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And he was wondering, just as he walked into his office, should I pose or should it be an action spot, action shot? By this time, he was at the phone. He picked up the phone. And the voice on the other end says, is this Chan Galen? He said, yes, it is. He said, this is Sports Illustrated. He said, your subscription has lapsed. He said, would you like to renew your subscription? And Chan, as he was speaking, he said, you can either humble yourself or life will humble you. And he's right. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Why? Because it's, it's bondage. It's absolute bondage. Hey, listen, i got to tell you something. Probably nobody knows any more about that. I mean, maybe others do perhaps, but I feel that as pastor here of a church because my life is always under scrutiny. I mean, I'm to the place now because of the growth of our ministry and the relatively small size of our city. I can't go anywhere without somebody recognizing me. And then now, because of the television ministry, every place I go, there are people who, who know who I am. And, you know, it's hard for me because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much what you see is what you get guy. And that's a challenge for me. I got to say, you know what? I got to be myself no matter where I am and who sees me. And if, they don't, if it doesn't make a good impression, I'm sad for that, but I'm not going to let that control and dominate my life. When Jesus came to this earth, he came to be a servant. He did not come to get his own way. He says, don't be selfish. He did not come to make a good impression on other people. He had a job to do, and he stayed with that job. Okay, i got to quickly go through this. I'm about to run out of time. The third thing about being selfish here and not being selfish, and we saw this now in verse 4. The Bible says, don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. Hey, isn't that a great statement? I mean, that's, I mean, that's even in the Carnegie course. Don't just be interested in what you got going on. Be genuinely curious about what other people are doing. Take time to be focused on others. You say, well, Mark, this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and if I don't 
puff myself. And if I don't do, if I'm not my own press agent, I'm not going to get anywhere. You'll be surprised at how far God brings you if you are willing to be interested in other people. And remember what this whole sermon is about. This whole sermon is about what would Jesus think? What did, you, what, what did we just read? Okay, let's, let's just sort of scroll through this outline. We, we know that we should have the mind of Jesus. We're in point two of that, which is he was willing to be a servant. And now we're at this point in which under that, the Bible has taught us, don't just be interested in yourself, but be interested in other people. I'd like to just call your attention to a vignette in our Lord's life. In fact, it is the last week of his life. It is probably Tuesday night, if you hold to a Friday crucifixion. Our Lord is coming into the city, and the disciples, the twelve that are with him, have been hassling each other. They're hanging back behind Jesus, trying to stay out of earshot. Can you imagine how dumb that was? (laughs) The Lord knows what you're thinking. Well, they were hanging back three and a half years, and they still don't have a clue, you know. And they're back here, you know, and they're just arguing, and they're keeping it under their breath. But, I mean, they are really hassling each other. And they get to town. And Jesus gets there with them, and he says, what were you guys talking about back there? What were you fighting with each other about? And they didn't want to tell him. Ever get in trouble with a group of people and nobody wants to admit what they've done? You know, you get called on the carpet and it's like, what did you guys do? It's like, oh, I don't want to say anything. And that's how it was. Jesus said, what did you guys fight about back there? Man, Peter usually shut off his mouth, but he didn't want to talk right now. And it was all quiet. Because they had thought Jesus didn't know what they were saying. He knew exactly what they'd been fighting over. And as it comes out, they had been fighting over which one of them was the greatest. Now, none of them were prizes. If you read the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that when the people looked at them, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Nobody cares about who's first among unlearned and ignorant men. They do not give a prize for being the first among the unlearned or the first ignorant guy. But that's what was on their minds. Now, think about this. They're trailing behind the Son of God. I mean, there was no question about who was the greatest there. They go into this room where they're going to have supper. Now I'm going to take a few moments. We may get out of here just a little bit later than normal, but hang with me for a few moments. They're going to have supper. Now, you know, you ever see this depiction of the Lord's Supper where they're all sitting at a table? Would you just get a big eraser and erase that out of your mind? Because that is not how it was. They weren't sitting around a dinner table. People ate in those days in a semi-reclining position. I won't do this in the second service, but I'm going to do this here so you can see. They would lie on their sides like this and have their heads in their hands, and they'd just talk like this, and they would eat. That's how they would do that. Now, after having seen how I just demonstrated this so eloquently for you, <laughs> let us be honest. You're in an enclosed room with 13 guys who have been walking on hot, dusty Palestinian roads Put it this way, somebody's feet are going to be in your face. So when you read about washing of the feet, you can see it was not a ceremonial thing. It was a needed thing. The only thing about washing feet was this. The servant, the lowest servant of the house, washed the feet. Jesus and his disciples didn't have any servants. So then it was the job 
of the youngest or the least important guy there to get up and get a towel and a basin of water and wash feet. But now let me ask you a question. Which of the disciples now is going to volunteer to get water and wash feet because they have been fussing over not who was the least. They have been fussing over who was the biggest. And there's old Bartholomew over there. Bartholomew means barrel-chested. He must have been a real hoss of a guy. Bartholomew's thinking, I may not be the biggest, but I'm not the least. And Matthew's saying, well, I may have been a tax collector, and I may have been a jerk, but I'm not the least important person here. So here they are, they're lying in the room, and nobody's getting up to wash feet. Get this picture in your mind. As a tall, bronze, 33-year-old man steps to his feet, cinches up his tunic, pours a basin of water, and begins to stoop down and wash the feet. Now, here's what I want you to see. That man who got the basin of water was the same one who stepped out and stood on nothing and called this world into existence. He was the one, according to Colossians 1.17, who holds all things in his hand. And yet, this great king of glory was willing to stoop and wash the dirty feet of unlearned and ignorant men. I want to ask you a question today. Could you see yourself doing that? as a husband. I'm entitled better than this. Now, you don't wash your wife's feet, I don't think. But metaphorically, can you see yourself get down before your wife and say, you know what? I'm not going to think about what I'm entitled to. I want to be the best husband in the world. What can I do to meet your need? Can you see a wife? Can you see yourself as a wife? Can you see yourself as a parent? Can you see yourself as a kid, as a teen, as a young single? Because that's the way to be happy. I, I know it's backward. I, I knew when I walked in here this morning, I, I was sitting on dynamite. But remember this. Somebody could say, well, Mark, why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, let's read the whole text because this is just so cool. Take your Bible one more time. Look at Philippians 2.5. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself as nothing and took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. But look at the next three words. Because of this. What? God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you catch that? Because of this, you say, Mark, I'm going to demand my own rights and because of that, I'm going to be happy. No, 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 no. Listen, if you will come into this life that you're living and not focus on your entitlements, but if you will become a servant, because of that, God will raise you up. See, I don't have to have what I'm entitled to because I'm not living based on what I'm entitled to. I'm living on grace, the grace of Almighty God. I'm living from hand to mouth, from His hand to my mouth. 
And so I don't have to have from people what I'm entitled to from people because the things that really matter to me, I'm getting from God. You've got to be an old-timer to remember this movie. When I was in high school, I think there was a movie called The Poseidon Adventure. Do you remember The Poseidon Adventure? It was a cruise ship. Man, I shouldn't even have to think about this today, should I? It was a cruise ship that, if I remember right, hit a huge storm. Lights go out. In the darkness, the ship turns over. And people don't realize it. Because of the air that's held in that ship, it floats upside down. Most of the people in Poseidon begin to climb the ladders in the darkness to the top of the ship. The only problem was, if you saw the movie, the top of the ship was now 100 feet underwater. It was those people who understood and made their way to the bottom who eventually knocked on the hull of the ship and the rescuers heard them from the outside and cut open the bottom of the ship and let them out. That's kind of how I see how we are today. Because we live in a culture that begins to demand and cling for its rights, but what they don't understand is that top of the boat that they're racing to is underwater. It is for those of us who will understand that the way up is down, that God will make us happy people. I want to thank you for listening to this sermon this morning. I know it's an odd message, but i got to tell you something. I really believe that the Holy Spirit had me sitting on dynamite this morning. I believe if there's some of you who will get a hold of this, and you will see those two things, WWJT, what would Jesus think? He didn't live his life demanding his entitlements. And number two, he was willing to be a servant. If you'll get a hold of that today, it will revolutionize your life. It will turn you around. Thank you for being here today. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for the kindness of these who sat through a long sermon in the early service. May your Holy Spirit teach us. Father, I'm praying for some extreme makeovers, starting with me, because, Lord, I want this in my life. And, Father, there are just some of us today who have become so unhappy for the very reasons we've talked about. Help us to let it go. Lord, help us to realize that our happiness doesn't depend on people. It depends on your grace. And, Lord, if there's somebody here today who's never trusted Jesus as Savior, Lord, what, a better, what better day could we have than today to see what a Savior he is, so willing to lay aside all the things of this life for us, Father, I pray that today they'll trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, if there's somebody you've touched to become part of this church, help them to come in confidence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Just do whatever the Holy Spirit wants you to do this morning. Lord, you have my heart And I will search for yours Jesus, fit my life and lead me on. Lord, you have my heart, 